Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Elder Dean Gonnerman is preaching on Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43 with the message, Walking with Jesus. I've asked Jake to come and uh, read the scriptures this morning. So if you look up in your Bibles, it's uh, Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. Thanks, Jake. Uh, page 789 in your pew Bibles. And Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. A great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. The sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, <clears throat> so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had discharged blood for 12 years, and who had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if, even if I touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and you ask, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking there, there came from the ruler's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put all of them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the reading of the word. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate that. Um, the last time I was asked to speak was the first of the year. And I never showed up because I got COVID. 
So I'm, I've made it this far. <laughs> In the uh, bulletin it says, Elder Dean Gunnerman, that just means I'm the oldest guy in the church here. <laughs> Okay, um, I want to talk about this scripture that was read, Walking with Jesus. This all took place that Jake read about here in Matthew, um, Mark 5. This all took place in one day in the life of Jesus. And just before this, uh, Jesus is in a Gentile country. He, uh, we find that Jesus, many times, there were such huge crowds following him. Sometimes they even pushed on him. And in fact, it says here, the crowds were pushing him. And he spent a lot of time with crowds. And the other group he spent time with were his small group of disciples. Because Jesus knew that he was going to die. He was going to die for the sins of the world. And he needed followers to carry his message forth. And so we find Jesus spending time with the multitudes and with disciples. And um, I think a lot of that is true today. Um, Jesus wants us to minister to the multitudes. We have sort of a multitude here. And also he wants to talk to disciples. He wants to train people to carry forth his message. The first thing I see here in this scripture is Jairus. He speaks to him. And uh, Jairus isn't a priest, you know, he's from the temple, but he's uh, a ruler of the, uh, of the synagogue, I should say. And what rulers of the synagogue did is they made the arrangements that they made sure there was space for people meeting here and people meeting there and for the rabbis to speak. And so that's what a ruler of the synagogue was. And when you think about it, he was sort of a businessman. He made the arrangements for the synagogue. And, um, you know, uh, some of you know that I worked for a bank. I was a businessman. <laughs> and uh, I uh, had a boss who was in charge of the bank. A manager. He was a big Italian guy. His name was Angelo Corallo. Doesn't that sound Italian? <laughs> and uh, he and I became friends and we would jog through downtown Portland on our lunch hours and come back and take shower and go back to work. And um, Angelo um, retired and we continued to have coffee together and one day he told me his wife Dana had been diagnosed with cancer 
Now, as far as I knew, Angelo wasn't a believer. He uh, didn't go to church. But he had a need, and it's kind of like Jairus here. He comes with this need. His daughter is dying. And a lot of times, that's the only time people really turn to God is when they have some serious need in their life. With Angelo, I asked if I could go visit his wife, and he says, yeah, he'd like that. So I went and saw Dana, and I brought my Bible and said, can I read? And he says, sure, he'd like that. So I read to her and prayed with her, and, and uh, he said, would you come back again? And so I came back several times. And Dana died within a month or two. And um, before she died, I just asked her if she believed in Jesus. And she knew where she was going. And she said, yes, she did. And um, Angelo heard all of this. And so um, he asked me to um, speak at her memorial service, which I did. And a lot of the bank people were there. In fact, some of the officers from other banks were there. But it was an opportunity to tell how Dana had trusted in Christ and was now with her Savior. So Jairus, um, he was a businessman, just like I was and like Angela was. The second thing I see here is this struggling woman, this lady that um, comes through the crowd. And for 12 years, she had some kind of a blood issue. We don't know exactly what it was. Um, some commentators think it was maybe a menstrual issue. Some think it might have been a... Uh, a sore that continued to uh, bleed. And um, we don't know, but it was an issue. And back in Jewish times, to have blood was, that was a no-no. You were considered unclean. That goes back to Leviticus. And so, uh, you waited till you were healed and cured of your blood. And so, um, but this woman was kind of hopeless. She pushes her way through the crowd. It said that she'd been to many doctors. I don't know what kind of doctors they had, Gina. <laughs> but she pushed herself through the doctors. I mean, through the crowd, and uh, she reached out and touched Jesus, and immediately she felt in her body that she was healed. And uh, she wanted to slip away again, and uh, Jesus turns around and he said, Who touched me? And the disciples said, you must be crazy. Everybody's pushing against you. And you're asking, who, who touched you? And Jesus kept looking around. 
He knew something had happened, that a healing had happened. And the woman, knowing she would be spotted, she came and fell at Jesus' feet. And um, she said that she told the whole truth. She told the story about how she had this issue. And she'd been struggling for 12 years. And she was now healed. And you notice that Jesus doesn't condemn her. He doesn't call her woman. He calls her daughter, which is an endearing term. It's like he's saying, you're one of my family, a daughter. And uh, he says, go in peace now. Your faith, your faith in me has healed you. And she went and she was a whole woman. She'd been healed. So um, I think many times, if I were to ask any of you, have you ever struggled in your life? I think we all do. I know I did. And uh, we may be struggling with health. We may be struggling with um, marital problems. We may be struggling with something in our business that isn't right. We may be struggling with our background. We had a bad bringing up. Whatever it is. Jesus wants you to have peace. Come to him. Be healed of the problems that you have. So that's the um, second thing I see here. The third thing is Jesus is going to the house of Jairus. And um, as he's going a uh, a man comes running to him and says, don't bother the teacher. You notice he says teacher. He didn't know really who Jesus was. Don't bother the teacher. Your daughter's dead. The bad news, and we, we hear bad news a lot today, nowadays. And uh, Jesus, it says, he just ignored it. He kept going. And he told this man, Jairus, he says, don't be afraid. Believe. And they arrive at the house. And again, there was a big commotion. They were mourning and wailing and everything. And um, I don't know what it would have been like, but it was a commotion. That's the way the scripture says. There's a big commotion. And Jesus takes all of these crying, wailing people with the big commotion. And he puts them out of the house. And he takes, you notice, he takes the father and mother into the house. And he takes three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Now, I'll talk about that a little later because there was a reason for that. But he takes them into the house, and there's the little girl lying there. 
The Bible says she's 12 years old. And to lose a family member is sad. Uh, we all lose family members from time to time. Um, I grew up in a family of 11 children. There's four of us left. You know, a lot of them have passed on. But uh, Jesus takes the little girl by the hand, and he, he says, get up. And she gets up and walks around. She's healed. And Jesus, not only that, he says, give her something to drink. I mean, to eat. She's hungry. And you know what I see in this? Jesus loves families. He draws his family together, father and mother and daughter. And they are believing in Jesus. And Jesus wants each of us to have a believing family. And um, I read some time ago in a art magazine that people with religious faith actually live longer than people don't that don't have faith. Now that's not always true, but apparently on the whole, people with faith live a little bit longer than others. And so um, Jesus unites this family. He loves this family a father, a mother, and her, their daughter. The last thing I want to speak about here that Jesus encounters, this, remember, this all happens in one day, um, is disciples. When Jesus went in to heal the little girl, he takes with him Peter, James, and John, three of his disciples. Now, why did he do that? You know, they didn't know this family. They didn't know the little girl. But Jesus was training disciples. Now, he had 12 disciples, but three of them he saw the greatest potential in, and that's Peter, James, and John. You know, um, if you read on in the scripture, Jesus took James, Peter, James, and John upon that Mount of Transfiguration when he talked to Moses and Elijah. These three, Jesus saw the greatest potential in. And he wanted them to experience some of these things that he was doing and some of the things he was teaching. And so um, he took them in with him so they could see this healing, that Jesus does heal lives, that he does bring families together. And, uh, you know, Peter went on to be a leader of the church after Jesus was gone, ascended, Peter became a leader in the church, and James became the, the spokesman in the church in Jerusalem. 
And John was the loving disciple. He taught Christians how to love, how to live. You remember when at the Last Supper, John was leaning up against the breast of Jesus, and he didn't like hearing the fact that Jesus would be leaving. And he loved Jesus so much. So John becomes the disciple of love, and he teaches us as Christians to love one another. And um, each of these men, Peter, James, and John, they um, wrote books. You read your Bible, there's books written by Peter, there's books written by John, there's books written by James, or a book written by James. They left, they carried forth the message of Jesus. And um, an early church historian says that the first century after Jesus had arisen and ascended, that Christianity had spread to almost, almost every country in the then known world. And that's because of the disciples carrying that message forth. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really encouraged by what's happening in the church. I see Weston and Stephen and these young people becoming disciples of God. And uh, they're learning more about God. And um, there's... I love seeing all these young people here. They're, you know, they're not playing games or anything. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're paying attention. <laughs> they're soaking it in. And future disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to close with a story, a story of love. Um, I was born on a, in a, far, on, in a farmhouse back in Iowa, <laughs> in the back bedroom. And uh, there's not many of you were born <laughs> in the farmhouse. <laughs> um, but there were 11 children in our family. I was number six. And um, we grew up on a farm. And I had a sister that was older than me. Her name was uh, Virginia. Uh, we called her Ginny for short. But Ginny was born with a seizure disorder. And this was back in the 1920s. Doctors didn't really have a cure or know what to do about a seizure. And, you know, I, as a little boy, I was scared. Jenny would just get rigid, and her eyes would roll back, and she'd drop to the floor and just shake. And I didn't know what was going on, and most of the doctors back then didn't know either. But because of that, um, my sister Jenny, her mind was really affected from these grand mal seizures she continually had. 
And um, my parents start, sent her to school, and the teacher sent her home. She says she's not learning anything. And so my parents found a place where they worked with people that had seizure problems like this, and uh, they taught them simple tasks that they could do. And I remember when we went to see Jenny uh, about once a month, and she was so proud of the little things that she had done. And um, I'll just take you fast forward here. Uh, I got married later, and Eunice and I moved to Oregon to go to school. And we'd go back to Iowa and visit relatives, and we'd always stop to see Jenny. She was in a house where they had several other seizure-type people. And um, the last time we saw her, we were sitting talking to her. She was nonverbal, and uh, she would just smile and just sit there. And um, we were sitting across from her. We showed her pictures of our boys and everything and told about what was going on with us. And she just smiled. And uh, I said, well, we, we've got to go. We have other relatives. We had brothers and sisters in Illinois, Iowa, in Minnesota, and so we had to get going. And uh, Eunice was sitting directly across from Jenny, and she just instinctively leaned forward and kissed her on the cheek. And Jenny broke out crying. That show of love meant so much to her, and she started crying, and she hugged Eunice. And, uh, you know, it was just a simple thing. But it was a show of love. And uh, we find, I went and got a nurse, and they came and calmed Jenny down a little bit. And uh, we left, said goodbye to her. That was the last time we saw her. And uh, I just know she's in heaven today probably running and jumping and talking, all of those things she couldn't do. But Jesus wants us to just show love, even in places where you think it may not make a difference. Show us some love. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that you are a God of love. You meet us wherever we are. If we're a businessman, if we're struggling in life, Lord, you love us in our families. And Lord, you just want us to show love to one another. We thank you for this scripture. Lord, I just uh, pray that you would be with each person here, each family here. Bless them, Lord. Take care of them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.